0: So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to bring on Peter Montoya. This guy is going to teach you how to connect, how to leverage the power of community so you don't have to be lonely, so you don't have to do it on your own, and I, for one, just am a massive proponent of community. We're going to be diving into that in just a sec. Before that, though, I'm talking to you because you're becoming your greatest possible self, because you showed up today, because you tuned in, because you are just doing the best that you can. I know you are, so every step that you take, I congratulate you. Find those coaches, those mentors, those, com- those communities, like Thrive Union and Peter, who are about to come on. Find the places and sources of inspiration that keep you going, that keep you fired up, that keep you from taking yourself out of the race. I think that's one of the biggest things that stops people from success, is uh, just getting knocked off the track and then staying down longer than the other people who have that support, who have that coaching and mentorship and community to help them get back up faster and get back into the race, get back into the under the court, under the field, and keep playing the game. So, thank you for being here. Stay plugged in. Next up is going to be the iTunes review of the week. This week it's by C.A. Cleary who says, valuable and entertaining content. It's obvious that Chris really cares about becoming his best self and helping others to do the same. He listens well, asks thoughtful questions, and highlights action steps his audience can take for personal and professional development. His energy and enthusiasm make his interviews not only interesting, but enjoyable to listen to. CA Cleary, thank you so much for sharing that review with us. If you have a review, that you'd like to leave to let us know what you love, what you want to see more of, and how we can improve the Greatest Possible Self marathon and podcast for you. Go to BeYourGPS.com forward slash iTunes or search Greatest Possible Self on the Apple Podcast Store and give us a review there. Thank you in advance for doing that. I'm going to introduce Peter in just a second here. Before that, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, be ready to take notes. This is going to be a powerful conversation to get you reconnected with your greatest possible self with community and the power that community has to help you achieve anything you desire. So definitely stick around all the way through to the end because one of these ideas has the power to change everything for you. For over two decades, Peter was the financial industry's go-to guru on marketing and branding. Now, he's the CEO of Thrive Union, an organization whose mission is to fulfill a need in modern society, helping people go from meaningless isolation to purposeful belonging. Though Peter struggled through school with undiagnosed ADHD, he was admitted to and graduated from the University of California, Irvine in political science. Post-college, he became a traveling speaker and salesman, chalking up over 3,000 presentations and living in over 22 major cities. Peter went on to found a successful advertising agency and sought software platform dedicated to financial service professionals. He quickly became the industry guru, writing numerous books, including one of his best-selling works, The Brand Called You. Peter is a truly fascinating and multifaceted guy with decades of experience in speaking to audiences about his business knowledge, inspirational journey, and human behavioral insight. He now pursues his passion for empowerment and community building, shedding light on society's growing loneliness epidemic through his visionary organization, Thrive Union. And we are going to rock the house today with Peter Montoya. Peter, you ready to rock the house, sir?
1: Chris, I'm thrilled to be here, Marathon Man.
0: Thank you, man. I am having a blast. We're going to dive right into the theme of today, Peter, which is the power of progression. What does that mean for you, Peter?
1: You know, uh, every single day, you want to make a one more step in the direction you want to head. Uh, as an entrepreneur, what an entrepreneur... The major difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner is business owners are largely recreating businesses that already exist. Mm. So if you want to be a dry cleaner or a chiropractor (laughs) or change mufflers, there's a thousand other businesses like that. What entrepreneurs largely do is they create businesses based on needs in the marketplace, but no business model actually exists. Mm. So an entrepreneur usually has an idea where they're headed. They know what their true north is, Mm. but they don't know exactly how to get there. So I start by you know, always taking a step in the direction you want to head towards your goals, what I used to do. But as you get closer to the mountain, you'll find out there's lots of different ways paths take. And you're never quite sure which is the right one to get you over those mountains, through the valleys, and uh, to uh, the mission where you want to go. So uh, progression is all about continuing taking steps every single day in the direction where you want to head.
0: I love it. I love the, the analogy of that adventure of going over the mountains, the forest, the the lakes, the rivers, the sea, the ocean—all of it, like to get to where you want to go, you got a direction. You got the compass point pointed in that direction, but you never know what is going to come up along the journey. You just get to keep showing up and and taking one step at a time, man. I, I I see that you've done that over the course of your career. Like everything was just, hey, what's the next step? How can I serve people? How can I serve businesses? And today, you're really focusing on community and building that community. So, just in an overview, tell us about what you stand for with. Thrive Union, especially, and then we'll go back into your journey, man.
1: Um, My my mission uh, in life is really clear, and it actually is the mission of our organization as well. Uh, There's three things that really get me excited and get me up in the morning. Number one is seeing people transform. Mm -hmm. So I've been on a 50-year journey of transformation, and I'm very different now from the person I ever ever was uh, because I've been a lifelong learner and uh, engaged in lifelong transformation. And nothing is more exciting uh, than being around people who are actually transforming on a daily basis. So I get really excited by seeing people uh, Number two, I get uh, really excited by seeing people connect, especially mm. in this incredibly isolated world. When people meet other people and they spark that unique spirit of connection uh, and they actually get engaged and their eyes light up, that really turns them on. Uh, and number three is perpetuating um, our species. I think our uh, humanity is certainly challenged right now, Uh, and so I'm really engaged in working with other leaders to solve the major problems so our species can exist uh, for another 100 million years.
2: Mm, mm, I
0: love it. I love it, Peter. I I think it's it's a really comprehensive mission and and, uh, values that you stand for, I love that it's a a global, hey, we want everyone to be healthier, wealthier, wiser, to be the best selves that they can be so we can live longer, be the best human species we can be, and then down to seeing people light up like one-on-one, seeing them transform, seeing them grow, seeing them become the best version of themselves. So I want to go back into your journey and talk about being a, a traveling salesman and a speaker, where you got started, man. Tell us a little bit more about that after you graduated with a political focus. Focus. Tell us how, how did that transition happen?
1: When you graduate with a degree in political science, you only really have three career choices. Uh, your first choice is to go to law school, but I just didn't have the discipline with my ADHD. <laughs> I didn't have any medication. was undiagnosed. Uh, the second choice is to go into sales. That's your second choice. <laughs> and your third choice is uh, food services. You can be a bartender or a waiter or something like that. Uh, And I chose uh, sales (laughs) coming out of college.
0: I love it, man. So about the beginning of of your sales journey, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned, milestones you hit that that helped you grow into your greatest possible self?
1: Um, You know, I was not a natural born salesperson and I was uh, even harder than that. I was a um, traveling salesperson slash speaker. Mm -hmm. I got a job working for the biggest motivational speakers in the world. As a matter of fact, my um, first job was an administrative assistant from a, sh- a friend we share on Facebook named Wajid Salam. Mm. Wajid Salam was my first boss, yep. wow. uh, and I was uh, his uh, assistant. and I scheduled appointments for him and helped him run his all his sales. Wow. And then after about four or five months, I got a job as as my being a salesperson. And more or less, I had to do ten to fifteen presentations in offices every single week wow. and uh, speak to five to 30 salespeople, all of them were way older and more experienced than I was, and do my darnest to actually sell them tickets to go see a motivationalist. So, but, you know, number one, probably most important, I learned the incredible, um, how important grit is, which mm-hmm. is you just don't give up. And, you know, you can also define grit as willpower. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, every day I would get up and get in front of an audience who scared the bejesus out of me. I didn't, I was 23 or 24 years old, and they were in their 40s. I was really intimidated, but I just had to kind of bring forth uh, the best I possibly could no matter how I was feeling. Uh, And then number two, I also learned how important hard work and discipline is. Uh, I really worked my tail off. I started to work at 8 o'clock in the morning and worked till six o'clock at night, uh, five and six days a week. I was always working. So yeah, sales, if you're doing it right, is a really hard job. Mm. Man.
0: And that's, that's like to, to create that level of impact and success. I think we all want to achieve it, but what are we willing to invest to be able to get there? I think that uh, today's, uh, especially today, instant gratification is a big thing. And I know for you, like having undiagnosed ADHD, like uh, that, that must've been a challenge. You're like all these shiny objects, all the desire to go do something else than rather than stay focused and stay on that, that path must've been a, a great character building process for you just to have to to create that discipline, man.
1: <laughs> so ADHD, uh, everyone thinks it means they have no focus. Uh-huh. Uh, what ADHD actually means is they have uneven focus. Either I have incredible focus, hyper focus, or no focus. Wow. So, and the you know the ADHD, the hyperactivity part means I got really high energy. So in school is always really hard for me. Being in a classroom still today is one of the hardest modalities for me to learn in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once I graduated from college and got into the workforce, I found work super interesting, and so mm-hmm. I had no problem sitting for you know at my desk, working for 12 hours a day without taking the breath and I had always the energy and the stamina to do it. So they guesstimate upwards of twenty five or thirty percent of all entrepreneurs have an ADHD. So it is a blessing and a curse. Wow,
0: I didn't I didn't notice that. I, I thought that ADD and ADHD were similar similar diagnoses, but it's definitely not the same thing. <laughs> That's great great correction, man. Thank you. Um, so you went through and you created success in sales, and then you got into uh, business consulting, building brands. Tell us a little bit more about that, man. How did that transition come about?
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I was more or less in direct and straight sales, uh, working for different uh, sales trainers, marketing companies, and I was always an average salesperson. There are Mm -hmm. other people who I've worked with who are far better salesmen than I am. Uh, I just worked really hard at it. When you're pretty average at sales, you want to get better at marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. Your marketing and branding is done really well. The sales become automatic. So, I read every single book under the sun on marketing and branding. I really loved Al Reese, Jack Cloud's books, mm-hmm. The Laws of Marketing and Branding. I read all of those books, The them. I loved Jay uh, like okay. Abraham's books, All the Direct Response books that I read, Dan Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they really uh, helped me understand marketing and branding better. So, I was working for an advertising agency specializing in realtors. I saw another great opportunity in creating a branding agency working with financial advisors. Mm-hmm. So, at the ripe age of 28, I knew it all. I decided to go start my <laughs> own business, specializing in uh, financial advisors. Uh, and once again, I, I, you know, didn't have any clients, didn't know the business, didn't know the language. Uh, I had not even a foothold in the business. Uh, but I just brought to it, you know, uh, unbelievable hard work. I worked, you know, 10 and 12 hours a day. Cold calls all day long until I got my first speeches in financial services, uh, and then finally started building a name for myself.
0: Mm. Tell us about the the beginning of that. What what did you need to have in place so that people were willing to give you the time of day?
1: Uh, I was always the person who um, jumped out of the airplane and then built the parachute on the way down. (laughs) So I built things as I needed to in order to get the job done, Uh, and that's one of my one of my uh, specialties as an entrepreneur, especially as I've bootstrapped all of my businesses, mm-hmm. I've always tried to figure out you know what is the least amount that has to get done everything you know, from point A to point B, and I didn't pay on any, any attention even superfluous. I only focused on what really needed to get done. How do right. I move the ball down the field? Okay. It's one of the most important questions that I ask. I got it plastered on my de- desk right here. What is the most effective time for use right? most effective use of your time right now
2: that's
1: mm. so on my desk i look at it all the time and every once in a while and i'm in the fury of phone calls and emails and people are i got kids coming in and out of my office and i kind of get that moment where you're just kind of you're busy doing stuff but you're not really getting anything done mm. I go back and look at that question and it always direct me to my highest most most important tasks mm. um, so you know I, I started booking speeches and then i went uh, speeches and i sold advertising services Meaning, we we developed logos and brochures, and I came back to the office, and I started uh, with the sales, and I started hiring uh, contractors to do the work, (laughs) and then I did the account to to do the work Mm -hmm. and deliver the work. And so I was always selling it, and then figuring out how to fill it uh, for years.
0: Well, I, I hear the transition as well from selling, which is you're 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 not really relying on a team underneath you to help you do your work and deliver your mission and purpose. And then when you created your own company and start doing these services for financial professionals, then you're like, hey, I, got, I get to put a team in place to help me stay in my genius zone and be the most effective at using the time that I have.
1: Yeah, I, and I've always been a command and control entrepreneur. Um, and so I've always figured out who are the right people to help me leverage myself with things I don't do well so I can do more of what I do well. So whenever I've been in sales, or my, or had three different companies, uh, and I've always been the number one salesperson in every single one of my own companies, as in most um, most entrepreneurs are they're the number one champion in their own companies.
0: Yeah. So community. When did you say? I know community is the the thing that is so important for me to be a champion for. When did that happen?
1: So I've been a, uh, it's going to sound like a, a tangent, but actually it's going to get me to where we want to go. Okay. Uh, I've been a personal development junkie since I was 18 or 19 years old. I've read uh, every single uh, self-help psychology, marketing, branding, leadership book you can possibly imagine. I've been to every <laughs> single course uh, under the sun and it's completely transformed me.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, what is really the, one of the threads that kind of runs through uh, all personal development versus the prosperity doctrine? Just a lie that if you're successful, you'll be happy. That's one of the major lies that kind of threat mm. through it all. And the second one is, you know, you don't need anybody else. You know, you can be hyper individualistic, which is certainly true. I was hyper individualistic. I drove my companies to success. I had hundreds of friends, but they were all located across the country, and they were all disparate. And I don't mean desperate. I mean disparate, which means they didn't know each other. Mm. So when I sold my business in 2018, I kind of still felt this even hold. I had A wonderful relationship with my new wife, and you might see her head bobbing in the back of the frame here. Uh, I've got <laughs> <laughs> there she is. Uh, I've got you know two two uh, organic kids and three more bonus kids and an extended family who I love so much. But I still kind of felt this hole, uh, and I was I was I was once with a really good friend of mine named Bar Campolo, and was kind of spring my he goes, yeah. You know what you're missing is community. And I heard that word, and I kind of went, you know, community, like, you know, what's what's the big deal about community? It, it, the word had no value. It meant mm-hmm. nothing. He droned on about it for a little while longer, how important community is. Community? Okay, blah, blah, blah. This is his hobby horse. He loves community, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, a month or so later, I was out with my wife and uh, her uh, parents, my, my parents-in-law. Mm-hmm. And they were convening a group of their friends who had been together for 30 years. Mm-hmm. There were about 30 of them, 15 couples we have been together for thirty years. They have wow. kids and start businesses and retired and send kids off and have their They've through all those major life stages together. It was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have that. Mm. They would sit around and tell stories. Uh, tell stories. They would tell jokes about each other. It was amazing when they uh, told stories about each other, and sometimes it was done with very playful teasing. The person who was in the barrel didn't wasn't embarrassed. They weren't you know feeling shell shocked or attacked. They knew this group that loved them. I like, oh my god. I don't have that, and most people around me don't have that. So community is much more than having individual friends. It's actually having an interconnected group of friends who have the same values, the same mission, and more importantly, they have interconnected friends. So I know you, Chris, and you know Wajid, and when is not here, we talk about him. <laughs> and not in a gossipy, you know, <laughs> you know, downtrodden way, but more, you know. How's our friend Lodget? What is our mm. friend Lodget up to? Mm. And that is really important to us as a species because the communication between you and I is, is that we're providing psychological support to Lodget, and if I wasn't here, I would believe that you and Wajid were doing the same thing for me. Mm. So we really need our tribe. We absolutely have got to belong, and it's what's now showing up in the data is we're more isolated than ever.
2: And and
0: so you created success and you did a lot as that command and control style, like, hey, I'm going to get it done. Like, I'm going to help other people, empower other people. You have this personal development philosophy that was the uh, undercurrent was foreign to you. It's like, well, like community, what's what's so great about that? Like, I'm getting things done. I have success. Like, why do I really need that? And so you got hit with a, a real life example of what's possible and how how you can feel as a human being i feel that feeling of belonging um and how much more fulfillment that brings to our lives and i think that's a lot of people are just missing that baseline of knowing what that even feels like because of social media disconnecting us other media school education whatever whatever it might be everyone's in their own lane caring about themselves and like stressed out over their own lives so We're bringing the conversation of community and uh, thriving in a union back, man.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, all of that. Um, So, you know, so yes, I I like to think that I was uh, operating as a good person. But unfortunately, um, I could go back and look at a lot of the business decisions that I did. uh, And I regret I behaved in a way that was unethical at times and probably took more than what I gave back. Uh, It's not how I operate now. Uh, But at the time when I was climbing the ladder of success, trying to achieve, and especially doing so with so little, so little money, uh, you know, I cut (laughs) corners along the way in ways that I wish that I hadn't. Fortunately, my clients were all left whole. My debtors were all left whole. uh, But I'm sure I have some wreckage along the way. Um, Very different than I'm operating in business now. I really operate in a way that's holistic and it's got to be win-win. You were uh, the, the 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 phrase that drove me um, for the first 25 years is uh, if it's up to be, if it is to be, it is up to me.
2: You mm-hmm. so know,
1: whatever uh, had to be done, I figured a way to get it done. And oftentimes it was me, sometimes it was somebody else. Uh, but my nickname growing up among my brothers um, was the Ramrodder. <laughs> um I know it's funny now. <laughs> I didn't think it was funny. Uh, more or less because I ramrodded my way to getting things done. I really am a high D driver on this profile.
0: <laughs> this is powerful. I think it's it's uh, I think it's a lot of life's journey. A lot of people's journey in life is they're so far on the pendulum one way, and then they're like wait, I can, I can do better, I can be a more empowered, holistic human being, there's a, there's a better version to live life. And I think it's it's after decades of experience and saying, finally, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be and coming back around. And so now you're at this place where it's like, I want to invest the rest of my life into building this platform to, to be able to bring community together, to bring um, individuals who wanna grow themselves, who wanna be connected with people who have similar values, and especially be in a physical proximity to, uh, you're going to bring that together. And I know um, you're right now you're in Orange County, correct? With with the um, meetings, tell us a little bit more about like the the organization and how it how it meets and what you're out to accomplish at those meetings.
1: So what's always interesting is we do have a real world community, real world things. We actually have, meet together at to visit physical. <laughs> and once in a while I meet somebody and they go, Hey, uh, Peter, are you over here in Kentucky? I said, we're not in Kentucky yet. I'm so sorry. And they go, can I join in online? <laughs> and we, you understand that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. So there are, what psychologists say is there's all sorts of what we call symbolic substitutes and symbolic substitutes are things that make us think we're getting what we need mm. without actually fulfilling the purpose. So for some people, you know, uh, adult movies might be a sub- a symbolic substitute for a real relationship. Cats, I love dogs, I love cats, but they once again are a symbolic substitute for a mature, high character uh, building uh, interpersonal relationship. Wow. You might say, well, you know, I really love my entertainment. People are watching more minutes now on their cellular devices uh, than they are spending with friends. People spend upwards of three or four hours a day on their cell phones and less than 30 minutes a day socializing. Uh, So they think that this phone is a substitute for personal connections, and it's not. Mm. So we as human beings are incredible social creatures. All mammals are social creatures, except the honey badger. He just doesn't care. (laughs) Uh, But... All of us are social creatures, and mammals are the most, sorry, uh, human beings are the most social creature. And we really have got to have these tight-knit interconnected communities. Every once in a while I run to somebody, they go, well, Peter, I'm an introvert, or I have social anxiety, and so it's different for me. It's possible, but it's not likely. There are some outliers, but even social, even introverts, uh, they need real connections with human beings, and even on different terms than extroverts do but they still need those connections. So Thrive Union is a real-world community. We have meetings two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. People will call a big tent meeting, which is almost like a personal development church on Sunday from 11 to 1. Uh, we usually have a documentary discussion night. We have game nights. We have supper clubs. And we have parties. So There's probably about 10 or 12 meetings uh, every single month. So we we'll get together and connect in a real way. Yeah.
0: How does, how does someone know if they're a good fit to, to be a part of this organization and community?
1: So we have a really uh, wide and diverse uh, group. Our, our people are as young as 25 and as old as 85 and everywhere in between. Uh, our people are usually uh, highly educated, uh, usually very open-minded, uh, and usually fairly curious is kind of our psychological profile for our group. But we come to our group, I'm so incredibly proud, proud because we're not religious, we're not political, uh, and we have every single possible demographic represented here in the United States in our audience. Uh, every ethnicity, every religion, every political background, and we come together in some really unique, we connect this human being. a very unusual thing in a society today. is so incredibly divisive.
0: Yeah. yeah and I think that's that's important I wanted to speak about the the separation the isolation in individuals lives as well as in the country and what do you see as the the impact of that I know you shared some statistics with this already is there anything else you wanted to speak on around that? Yeah let
1: me actually take one step back and give you a little more background okay. So Harvard uh, University had been running the longest longevity study uh, in uh, in existence. It started in 1930s about 400 men, 21 years old, back in the mid-1930s. These 400 men, were some of them were from Harvard, from upper-class, well-educated families, mm-hmm. and a lot of the young men uh, were from South, uh, South Boston, what they call it, South. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked at every single measurement you possibly could with these, these men. They looked at economic background, education, they looked at the jobs they had when they got married, they looked at diet, looked at activities, it was an incredibly uh, wide breadth study. Um, and a lot of these young men, when they graduated Harvard, when they left their, their homes, they became bricklayer, bricklayers, lawyers, politicians, they went to World War II, died there, they became alcoholics, became fathers, became members of their community. Even one became president of the United States, and one became secretary of state. It was an incredibly diverse group. So after 80 years of running the study and looking at every single factor you could possibly imagine, uh, what is the number one factor? If you want a little longer, happier, healthier life, with better brain function, what is the number one factor? You can consider ethnicity, uh, you can consider religion, political affiliation, job, education, marriage status, friends, every single factor you can possibly imagine. Chris, what would you guess is the number one factor which will determine living a longer, happier, healthier life?
0: I would say being connected to your purpose and living a great life.
1: (laughs) That is is really high up there. That's up there. And there's some great books on that. But actually, number one is the quality of your relationships. And they broke it down into high intensity and low intensity
2: relationships.
1: Your high intensity relationships are friends, family, your partner, your spouse your roommates, those are about a little more than half of that equation. Mm -hmm. And the other half of the equation um, are the mild interactions, the low intensity interactions you might have with a mailman or ordering a sandwich Mm -hmm. or talking with somebody at a front desk at a hotel. All those interactions are really super, super important. Mm -hmm. So it turns out people who have friends starting as as kids have friends as adults, adults and they keep friends for life. And those relationships are the number one factor. So in the 1980s, the average American had four confidants or four close friends. Someone they could call if they were not feeling well, if they needed a cup of coffee or anything. Else in the Today, that number is less than one. For most, Americans. most Americans have almost, a lot of Americans have no one they can call. So isolation is becoming quickly. Uh, an incredible health crisis here in the United States uh, on an individual level. And we haven't even gotten
0: to the macro crisis. And this is, this is so powerful, Peter. I want to share like a little bit about my own journey because I think it'll, it'll play into this with, um, yeah, I was I'm at, hearing. I was on a, a cruise about a couple months ago and something I noticed after reflecting back is like, I didn't have any desire to uh, go and communicate with, strangers random people on on the cruise you know I was just just like in my own zone and isolated myself to to study to do personal development and even when i went to seminars and things like that i would connect with people there but not much follow-up would happen outside of that and then a lot of my friends who i had in high school i didn't keep strong relationships with with the majority of them um, for for years you know like i they just kind of were there when i was there in high school and i felt like my interest my values, a personal development, professional development, and my growth—it was it like deviated. So I had almost had this this reason, this this justification of why, okay, well, there's no longer a reason for us to stay connected, or it's not a priority to uh, to be there with them, and I just noticed like quality of my life was not super great when that was happening when I was like being that way when I was aggressive towards my goals and my purpose to be fulfilled and be my greatest possible self and what I noticed is when I took the time to like have meaningful conversations when I took the time to just have a a conversation with a stranger even uh, and just like slow down and not be in such a rush to get somewhere like it was it was just an opportunity to feel good in the moment and not not like have my life driven by some external success it was just like hey you know this this moment this opportunity this conversation is beautiful and so i was driven by a not enough conversation where i always had to achieve more and over the last couple of years especially i've said hey like every conversation every person is meaningful so open myself up to pause to take my headphones out to put my phone down and while i'm at the the store or just with my girlfriend or with, you know, people who I, I come across and uh, just take the time to, to really appreciate and be grateful for that conversation and care enough to not rush through it, but just be there, man.
1: Yeah. Being present like that, like you're doing is really, really important. And I really applaud you for figuring out that that distinction because most people don't. Um, So, you know, uh, I too am an absolute knowledge carnivore. (laughs) Listen to podcasts in an hour or two, three hours a day. You know. uh, I love to read. I love watching educational videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely consume uh, new information, voracious uh, like that. And here's the thing with me. It's it's my safe place. It's mm-hmm. easy to go to. It is completely and totally risk-free. Yeah. There is, there's nothing that can go wrong with me for me. I'm not risking anything. I'm not you know, I'm growing, but not re- re- reaching in any way when I'm doing this. And every single time that I have a conversation with somebody, just the potential goes wrong. <laughs> you know, I've had lots yep. of awkward, <laughs> weird conversations that I just want to get out of. <laughs> it's kind of the potbury yeah. of humanity. Yeah. Uh, but yet, at the end of the day, those minutes you spend socializing, truly yeah. present, connecting with somebody, are really, really good. For me, what I found is I got myself really into this vicious cycle of contempt, and that uh, I would go into a room. I would basically start this awful dialogue in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. No one cares that I'm here. no one wants to mm-hmm. talk to me. Um, I could leave right now, and no one knows the difference. I could sit on the back of you know I started because of that negative conversation, that i put off you know you really standoffish vibes, and no one would want to talk to me, and then I'd start hating the people in the room for not wanting me next to me, <laughs> and so it created this awful, vicious cycle, and it was contemptuous. And it really led to a lot of shame for myself and my self-confidence and my self-esteem dropped. So I really had to stop that behavior um, in order to get myself back engaged with people. And I can't tell you how, how miraculous that it was. Being part of the community, actually forcing yourself to actually connect with people on a regular basis. My self-confidence and self-esteem have gone through the roof ever since I made those little teeny tweaks. It's not that awful dialogue in the back of my head.
0: Yeah, and I I love as well the frequency with which you meet with your community because for me, I really found like a sense of belonging. When I was in Toastmasters, I was in it for about two years and I went, Excellent. we had Sunday meetings for two hours, every Sunday meeting, right? It's like five thirty PM. And it was just a really great opportunity for me to build consistency and build these relationships with people yeah. who had similar values uh, to me. They wanted to grow. They wanted to be there. The best communication special or, communication selves, leader selves that they could be. And so that was really valuable for me to to do that. But then I I left that and I said, well I'm gonna go do higher levels of of personal development, professional development. And I felt like I I retreated, you know, I retracted and, and isolated myself. And so I think that the the physical showing up where, where you have meaningful conversations, there's, there's an objective that you're moving towards, whether it's game night, whether it's learning personal development, whether it's having like a, a Sunday service to, to share and, and learn and be inspired. I think that showing up is so important, man.
1: And the reason is uh, psychologists and neurosurgeons think there's little neurons called mirror neurons that mm. only get triggered when we're, when we're actually face-to-face. So it's certainly possible that over a call like this, when I'm seeing you and you're seeing me, then we can get that little bit of a buzz. A little bit. Nothing like being at a party yeah. or being at a course when you really find somebody who you really connect with and you're fully firing on all cylinders. You feel like this is a brother or a sister from another mother, yep. and we I belong with this person. That's when you're mirroring on your your uh, adrenaline, your oxytocin mm-hmm. is formed through your body, and that is really healthy, good stuff. That's what we need on a regular basis. Yeah. So there's one, there's actually two things that could probably, I probably ask for all of the principles to come home. first one would be, is get yourself out and start socializing for at least an hour a day. It's a coffee and lunch or dinner with no other purpose than just to be with the other person who you are with. Wow. to tell me you don't have time. The data tells us elsewise that you're spending three to four hours a day in front of screens. Uh, those free screens are really killing, you, literally.
0: Yeah. And so, like the the best thing we could do is put a block in our calendar of having that face to face time with someone. If if it's like this is this is important, it'll literally change our health. It'll change our mindset, change how we view the life, um, and to make that a priority. Because I know a lot of us want to just get more done. We want to go achieve. We want to impact people's lives. We want to even be in the best shape of our lives, be in the best health of our lives. So to just be with that person and say, hey, this is a priority. This is a value for me to socialize, to build connections, to build relationships, build friendships. I think that's, that's such a um, reminder to our, our body, our, our conscious, our everything, conscious and subconscious, that this is important to me. And so our life starts to shape completely different, man.
1: There's literally nothing more valuable you can do wow. besides obviously eating, sleeping, and breathing. <laughs> <The> I'm <time laughs> at is going out and having good social quality contact uh, a couple times a week. Wow. I schedule lunches and dinners uh, every single week. Yeah. Um, I love people first of all, uh, and second of all, it's really important to my health and theirs. Yeah.
0: I've thought about doing like um, men's dinners here in Vegas. I'm curious what your thoughts are on yeah. like bringing, but what about bringing in business conversation into that? Is that, is that okay? Or it's still sure. good, right? I would do both.
2: Yeah. You know, I've been
1: involved in many different masterminds and all sorts of different CEO groups and almost always they've been blended. We talk mm-hmm. about business and we talk about personal and uh, you know, the stories that I've heard um, coming from other business leaders They have the same problems everybody else does (laughs) marriage issues, children issues, estates, wills, dying parents, motivation issues, health Mm -hmm. issues, uh, all that stuff is important. So, you know, a lot of us would like to think that, you know, we leave our personal lives, go over, we go to work, but we just don't. Mm. So, yeah, I I like really holistic, uh, whole conversations that are had at meetings like
0: that yeah you have a, a community in Orange County and I know you're expanding that you want you want chapters all around the world or I don't know if it's chapters is the specific word yeah. but you want yes, locations and meeting groups all around the world um, how can how can people get involved how can they help accelerate this process and bring more of these the spirit to their location their, lo- their local uh, cities
1: so first of all we have an amazing YouTube channel uh, go to YouTube.com slash Thrive you know, Union, YouTube.com slash Thrive And every single week, we're putting out a different video as part of our life school. Uh, these videos are only five minutes. They're animated, and they're highly educational and very entertaining. And they more or less explain every topic which you've heard of, but maybe not have really thought of that much before. Mm-hmm. We dive into topics like absolute responsibility and empathy and boundaries. How to have a hard conversation. We really want our videos to be really substantive. There's a lot of good ideas packed into every single one. Yeah. We want to be pragmatic, so we'll have a couple of ideas they can take away. And that life school alone, all someone did was watch all of our videos. Their lives would be transformed just from that. But from that, when we're opening up new chapters, we'll be broadcasting when we're looking for new members in different cities. Through there. So I would highly recommend they start there, subscribe to that channel, click the like and notification bell. And they can also visit our website, which is thriveunion.org. Excuse me, thriveunion.org. Mm-hmm. And I felt their contact information with their zip code. And we're ready to open a new city in their area. They'll be the first to know.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, I love that you're building the online portion and doing these videos and making it like educational and uh, engaging. Keeping it short because a lot of people are number one busy, but also it's it's like living that principle of hey, we want you to rather go be with people, go have conversations, go spend times with spend time with friends. And keep learning this stuff, but hey, we're not gonna take up too much of your time. But learn this this like daily tidbit or weekly tidbit and then go out and, and build those social relationships. I hear that you're really practicing what you're sharing here with our audience, man. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Super, super cool. So with the the YouTube channel, I, I wanna dive into that. Um when you set out to start this YouTube channel, what was what was your vision? Did you want people all over the world to access it? Did you want to make it bite-sized? Like what, what are your priorities with with building that platform?
1: Yes. So I wanted to create a global audience and obviously I want to change their lives. Yeah. So our goal with every video we put out there is to make sure that it's noble in its intent. Its job is not to sell anything or bring value for me. It really is to help people change their lives. So each video. Is meant to be really distill a concept which might be kind of nebulous in someone's mind and something is bite sized and actionable. Uh, that was really the goal of that. Mm. And then, as I mentioned a little while ago, as busy as people might be or might claim to be, they're spending four hours a day on entertainment on screens. Mm. That's 240 minutes. So we want to get to them where they are, uh, which is largely online.
0: How do we invite others to be in more community with us is it is it as easy as saying hey come come to a dinner with me what what kind of reservations or hesitations might people have in getting engaged in more
1: community It is breaking the hard habit of being alone Mm. and so most people have become and separate from what i call isolation sickness which means they're so lonely they forgot that they're lonely and they're just used to being alone so loneliness is a pain, just like being too hot, too cold, or hungry. Loneliness is a pain to our body, to our, our psyche, telling us that we need to be connected. And some people get so numb to that, they have this high anxiety, they have a hard time being around um, other people. So it's one of the strangest things is uh, the more we need other people, the higher our anxiety is, wow. and it makes us much more skeptical about groups. So my hope is to educate people about that, to really challenge them to get out and get into community, because uh, being isolated is literally killing. Me.
0: Powerful. You mentioned about the, um, the success doctrine earlier, like if oh, yeah. we create success, financial prosperity, prosperity doctrine, create that um, success externally, then that will fulfill us. And there's also a fulfillment doctrine. Can you tell us a little, little bit about that distinction? Yeah.
1: So, you know, I bought into the Prosperity Doctrine, hook, line, and sinker, and I really thought it was the key to happiness. Mm. The Prosperity Doctrine most likely started with a very famous speech back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The speech was called, Acres Full of Diamonds. Mm. Have you heard of that speech before? Russell Conway? Yeah, Russell Conway. So more or less tells the story of a poor farmer out in South Africa who heard stories, he was a dirt farmer who was basically scraping dirt all day long, and here all these stories about people finding, getting riches uh, through uh, diamond mines. So he decided to sell his farm, and go off and find a diamond mine, but obviously he died uh, broke, um, but he died, he died broke. Mm-hmm. But the farmer who bought his uh, farm was out there working it every single day, and he discovered those clumps it weren't just clumps, they were actually diamonds. And it turned out to be one of the largest diamond mines in all of Africa. So the moral of the story was: is there's actually riches in your backyard. Now this mm. The story came to us at a very important time in our collective psychological development, our cultural development, because up until that time, most people, being devout Christians, really believed that they had to be poor in order to be pious. Mm. If they want to be closer to God, they thought they had to be poor. Mm. But the speech told people was: it was okay to be rich, and that. Uh, if you were rich, you were most likely to be happy. If you were rich, you were most likely to be well, healthy. And it completely changed the, the values of, of our country. It was probably really formative. And part of the Industrial Revolution that started in the early 1900s, they almost told people it's okay to be rich. But that the doctrine really has gone uh, a, way too far. I mean, from that, you've probably heard of other books like, you know, um, As a Man Thinketh um thinking grow rich, the L. Carnegie's book. There's been all these books over the last hundred years now that all, all you know all along have this kind of thread running through it which says, if you're successful, you'll be happy. If you're successful, you'll have everything you want. The key to being successful is to have mailbox money, uh be by your own pool, working off your cell phone, or your laptop, uh with a gorgeous spouse, and that is what the key to happiness is. Mm. And everyone knows It's a lie, and yet everyone is pursuing it anyway, Mm. and that is the incredible power of culture. If you were to ask me what is the goal of our existence here in the United States, I would say our goal is to be alone and wealthy and famous, (laughs) which is really a very, very strange dichotomy. But if you ask most people, you know, what does retirement look like to you? What would be your dream retirement? They'd go, I want to have a couple million dollars in the bank. Mm-hmm. I want to have my house paid off. I want to have my spouse there with me. And I want to be left alone. Either my house is kind of isolated and cold cul somewhere, or my house is off the top of a hill or out in the woods. Mm-hmm. So they want to be <laughs> wealthy, isolated, and alone. And none of those things bring happiness. <laughs> none of them. It's the exact opposite of what makes us happy. And the, the data tells us that over and over and over again. So there's a really fantastic book out there called The Blue Zones by Dan. Oh, I'm forgetting Dan's name right now. Mm-hmm. You can look it up for me. Sure. Uh, and it more or less, looked at four or five different blue zones around the world. Uh, Dan Bütner, Bütner is his name. Dan Bütner. Uh, four or five zones around the world where these people were living regularly to being 100 years old, and not 100 years old and frail, but 100 years and active, like they either had jobs or they were raising their great-grandchildren or they were teaching school, mm. and they looked at all the different factors, and the fact, one of the big keys was is they had a purpose, which you mentioned earlier, and purpose is absolutely huge, and number two, they were highly involved in community. Mm. They had a group of friends around them, So it isn't living living rich and alone somewhere else. It is living with a purpose in a group of other people. That is key, uh, part and parcel to the fulfillment document. So you can look at the school of positive psychology. You can look at the school of longevity. There's a ton of overlap. If you want to live a longer, happier, healthier life with better brain activity, and I'm not sure what more you want than that. (laughs) If that's not what you want, I don't know what it is that you want. The key is, you're absolutely right. Get a purpose and get a community.
0: Yeah, I love it, Peter. This is great. Um, for people who are building a brand right now online, social media, and wanting to influence, inspire, empower the world, uh, what What do you think that they could be doing differently to create more community, to bring people together in more social settings?
1: So, uh, first of all, I know, I, I certainly understand the allure of what you and I are doing right here, you know. We're, you know, Peter, we're using Skype, I can clock in, we can get, share some really great data, we can have a connection. You don't have to travel out here to Las Vegas, you don't have to rent a hotel, you don't have to you know, do all these things in order to happen. And it's really low cost and easy. And mm-hmm. there is an allure to that, and yes, we can use that. Mm-hmm. So technology is at its best when it is facilitating real world meetings. Mm-hmm. Technology is at its worst when it's keeping you from being engaged, the person who's sitting right next to you on your left or right. I am positive that you probably can uh, have been in a uh, airport shuttle, on a bus, on a train, or in a bar and seen a hundred people all looking at their devices rather than talk, talking to their left and right. So I travel all the time for business, I go into a lot of business bars, and I, you know bars or dive <laughs> bars. These are the bars where business people go to get a drink and eat dinner after, after a long day. Right. And 10 years ago, everyone was talking to each other and or the bartender or the waiter. Yep. And they, everyone is plastered to their phones. Mm. This is a sign of sickness, mm. but not of convenience. Wow. What we've been doing as a society is we've been trading community for convenience, and that convenience is killing us. Wow,
0: I think that's that's really important to say. It's a sign of sickness and not convenience. Cause like we we think, oh, we're just we're wanting to be on our phones. We're not wanting to be productive and things like that. But we're not looking at, hey, this is actually a an illness. This is a dis-ease. This is creating disharmony and shortening people's lifespans. Creating you know detriment to people being their best selves and and living a fulfilled life.
1: That's exactly correct. Right. Is a sign of uh, a warning sign. So yeah. every single week when we do a meeting and somebody new comes in uh, and they come in and if they are on their phones, that is like a four alarm fire uh, <laughs> in our community over here. So you know, more or less, anybody who comes in, we want to make sure they're always talking with somebody and they're always engaged. Yeah. So they're actually getting what they need. Because, amazingly enough. I love our meetings. They love coming around. Mm. We may only see them once or twice. Mm. So every single time anyone comes to any of our meetings, we want to make sure this might be the one time this week where someone actually acknowledges. I mean, mm. we really pay attention to somebody. We look them in the eye. We ask them sincere questions. We empathize with them. And for many people, it is the only time all week, or all month, or all year, where someone really acknowledges and sees.
2: Mm. What, uh,
0: those questions, how can we, how can we create more meaningful dialogue in the relationships that we already have? Let's say we have a spouse, let's say we have business partner, friends, how do we have more meaningful conversations and get more out of the time that we might already even be spending
2: together?
1: So Chris, let me ask you a question. Uh, Tell me who are some of your favorite interviewers? Who are some of the best interviewers in your mind?
2: Hmm.
0: I love Lewis Howes. He's just School of Greatness. It's an awesome, awesome show. Um, I love Brian K. Wright with Success Profiles, who was on earlier today. Awesome. I think they're, they're great.
1: Very good, good. I love those guys too. Uh, I also love uh, Howard Stern, he's an amazing interviewer, mm. uh, Joe Rogan, Ellen, and uh, Terry Gross. Mm. And what you'll notice about all four of those interviewers is they really ask open and questions Mm. and they follow the natural passion of the speaker so what um some people like to do especially logical do is they like to follow their own curiosity and they start asking questions based on what interests them that's not the best way to have a real conversation Mm. the best way to have a real conversation is to start kind of opening asking open-ended questions like tell me about yourself what are you passionate about what you do you, is sort of a really open-ended question and then the person starts talking and you start looking for what they're passionate about. Mm. And when they're passionate about something, you ask more questions to extol their passions, not to feed your curiosity. That's what the art of really good conversation is, mm. is connecting to somebody else's passion rather than just following your own curiosity.
2: That's powerful.
0: I think it's so, so interesting because I think – there is a desire to be to be curious in, in in conversations. We're even taught be curious about the other person. So it's like curious. Okay, I'm going to be curious. I'm going to ask questions. I I want to be entertained by this curiosity in asking questions. Like no, that's not the that's not the curiosity focus. It's what is their passion. What lights them up. Get to know them and find the the tangent, the pathway, the value that they really want to speak on, and just like go deep into that.
2: That's it. That's
0: powerful, Peter. I love it. I love it. This is a great, man. Um, isolation. I want to go back to that and and talk about what other what other challenges might what, might we be having with isolation that we don't even recognize, we don't even realize. Where else yeah. might that show up in our lives?
1: So we talked about the micro price and and, and you know to further um, extend the micro prices we're paying is that the uh, levels of anxiety and depression are the highest now in recorded history, which is probably about 70 or 80 years. The levels of uh, alcohol addiction and drug addiction are the highest uh, they've been in recorded history. And the same with um, um, uh, gun violence, I'm sorry, suicide, Mm -hmm. and then also social violence against other people. All of those are directly correlated or caused by Mm -hmm. isolation. So on a micro level, we as a society are paying a really heavy human price for people being alone. I am willing to bet dimes of dollars if you look at every single last mass shooting in America in the last 10 years, every single one of them, to some degree, had some some degree of isolation. Uh, Most likely, they were even pulled into a radical extremism because they were alone and they were looking for the comfort of a tribe. So that is one price we're paying as a society. The other price we're paying as a society is the reason I'm not watching the news anymore. I stopped watching the news three or four years ago because we as a species now have evolved to a place where we'd rather objectify and demonize one another to polarize them and make them wrong rather than collaborate and solve problems. So our inability to connect in these little teen communities in our own neighborhoods, in our own places, is increasing our anxiety, lowering our our ability to empathize, so we can't know when to trust, distrust, connect, and actually work with other people to solve problems. So it doesn't matter which end of the political spectrum you're on, most likely you might be probably fairly worried about our our future as a country as a species as a planet uh, and you can pick any one of the handful of problems that are out there right now uh, but i can tell you this right now is we as a species are not talking uh, to actually solve those problems And that boils down to our inability to actually get back into community so i think the most Im- important conversation we should be having right now as a species species is how can we work better together to solve the problems plaguing our uh, our our country, our species, and our planet, and they're really big problems. And by and large, we're not working on them fast or hard enough.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, what what do you think would accelerate the rate at which we're, we're having these conversations? You creating a YouTube channel, having these in person meetings, like what? what would need to happen for more influencers people with platforms to take on this conversation how do we get it in front of more people
1: <laughs> you know strangely enough and this is going to sound really an to what i'm to do to, to the goal here but i would imagine uh, actually if everyone's cell phones stopped working tomorrow uh, we would probably have more connection and more community
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know i, I love myself you know <laughs> i i adore my cell phone it allows me to leverage my life but you know, your cell phone really, once again, is only as good as it helps you get in connection with other people. And right now, I think most people's technology is actually a hindrance uh, in driving us to more isolation rather than more connection. So maybe we should blow up all the cell phones.
0: That's powerful, man. I, I have a vision to create an augmented reality device, which like overlays a game onto life so that we make better decisions and we're able to to have fun with life more. And one of the things I saw in a movie called Ready Player One is that at the end, at the end, they said, hey, on Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever, you're not allowed to play the game because you have to remember what real life is like. You have to do it without, you have to, you can't escape to the game. You have to remember what it's like and and to continue um, strengthening that human-to-human connection and not always escape. So wouldn't it be amazing to have cell phones that had like prohibited use days? Like imagine what that would, what would happen?
1: <laughs> yeah. So let me show you a, a couple charts here right now. Yeah. So uh, this one here is a chart looking at uh, at teenagers. Is this showing up now on your yep, screen? Can yep, you see yep, it? All right. It. So this has, uh, the black line is 12th graders, green one is 10th, and the red one is 8th graders. And it shows the number of times teenagers were going out without their parents. So you look at it here from 1976 until about 2007, the average teenager was going out about almost three times a week. Then in 2007, the iPhone was released. And look at the number of times the average teenager started going out with their friends. It plummeted from about two and a half down to about one and a half. Almost overnight. The iPhone was like a neutron bomb going off in our society. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Now, here's the more likely to feel feel lonely. Percentage of 8th graders, 10th and 12th graders who agree or mostly agree with the statement, I often feel left out of things or a lot. They were feeling that 26 or 25% of the time. It was actually dropping for some reason until 2007 when the iPhone was released. And look at it, it just skyrocketed almost overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess you could say this was a coincidence. You might say it was correlation, but I would make a strong argument that this was causation. Now, this is just one group. It doesn't show what's happening to adults and the rest of that. It's one example of what cell phones are doing to our sociability and our culture. Wow.
0: Man that's crazy that is so crazy it's just like it's one layer that we can see one one aspect of measuring that but i think that the the happiness the fulfillment that we like, I, I don't know how you can measure that, but except for the living longevity that other societies and other countries experienced like longer, longer lifespans. Oh, yeah. They so they
1: actually do measure well-being. Mm-hmm. They call it the happiness index, and they actually measure it from different countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And what's really amazing is we in the United States, the last hundred years, have basically said, hey, if we're wealthy, we're prosperous, we have more money, if we're a better capitalist, we'll be happier. Guess what? We're the richest country in the world, and we're nowhere close to the happiest. Uh, So, (laughs) yeah, you can see all sorts of different countries up there that actually are far, far higher, and by and large, even wealthier per person who aren't quite so driven by -hmm. capitalism as we are here in this country. And please don't get me wrong. uh, I am a capitalist. I've made lots of good money. It's brought more people out of poverty. uh, But I think the overemphasis, the sole emphasis, on capital as being the solver of human ills is probably a misplaced
0: focus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Peter. So let's wrap it up with a final piece of wisdom for our audience. If you want to recap on something we already said or just a point you want to drive home or something we haven't yeah. touched on? Let's drive it home, man.
1: So there were uh, two things I would ask of every human being. And the first one I asked for is that people uh, actually changed their sociability. They started spending one, two, three times a week actually connecting with other people and, and the second one was uh, is is to orient their moral compass mm-hmm. so the object of every single person's morality is completely and totally subjective every person gets to decide what is the top of their moral compass some people might say well my moral compass is based on my heart you know, my heart says is good is okay when it says it, heart is as bad as bad mm-hmm. that's one way of looking at it and the only way of looking at it, it's like someone might say, well, it's based on the Constitution. It's legal according to the country, Then it's okay with me. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that most people have their moral compass uh, based on personal prosperity, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. I think the goal of most Americans, whether they know it or not, is to be wealthy, um, healthy, and alone is the goal. So most people are really kind of geared toward this personal prosperity. Mm-hmm. And if I could make one request of every human being on the planet – They need to reorient their moral compass toward human Mm well-being. Human well-being can actually be measured. But As soon as you reorient yourself around human well-being, maximizing your own flourishing, uh, without hurting or hindering anybody else, it changes your life. You make far different decisions. You make decisions in jobs based on purpose. You make decisions on your free time based on connection. You make uh, decisions based on your health, based on wellness, uh, rather just on pleasure. So when people's compasses are orienting around um, a personal enrichment, uh, they're usually engaged in pleasure-seeking activities. They want houses and cars and out to dinner and fancy clothes and vacations and isolation. Uh, and that's not the way to either uh, perpetuate our species uh, and or find fulfillment. Fulfillment comes from the things we've been talking about here today, which is purpose, relationships. Fulfillment. Wow,
0: that's that's powerful, man. I I, I don't think I've ever heard that. I've heard a lot of things in personal development, but to shift the focus from prosperity and creating prosperity for oneself, which is great. It's great to make money. It's great to be wealthy. It's great to do all those things and to shift that to well-being. How do I? How do I? How am I being as a purpose? Not not so much how do I feel. I think that's a part of it, but because we can feel good and bad, it goes up and down. It's like the 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 roller coaster of life, so to speak. But how am I doing as a as a human being? What is what is going on as a, as a holistic? Kind of organism. How am I? How am I doing? And to shift our focus from prosperity and achievement to well-being and also others' well-being too. Because if I'm sharing with others, hey, I want you to be well. I want you to feel good. I want you to be living in your purpose. I want you to, you know, achieve and and create the things that you want in your life. I think that that is is super super powerful, Peter. Thank you yeah that's that's a great great request so change our sociability, social social ability, sociability and then uh, go one to three times a week hang out with some friends meet up in person with people and then also to shift our, our focus our GPS to human well-being Peter this has been a blast how do people take those next steps with you remind them of the YouTube and the website one more time
1: yeah please come visit YouTube which is youtube.com slash Thrive Union youtube.com slash Thrive Union and also our website which is thriveunion.org There's one thing you do is uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's really amazing content.
0: On that. Awesome, Peter. Thank you so much for being thank here, you man. You, Chris, for all I you're good. doing. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. you. All right. Have a great rest of your day, man. Okay. Take care. Take care. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for tuning in. Right now, we've reached the end of this episode, but this is the start of a whole new beginning each and every moment you have an opportunity to rewrite your story right here right now decide and commit who you are going to be think about how you will use these ideas wisdom and inspiration to make the difference in your life what actions will you take today and every day to step into your greatest possible self You were sent by Chris. Did you enjoy this episode? Let your friends know about it. Share the website, beyourgps.com and send me some love on social media. If you want to clarify your vision, uncover blind spots, get more energy, tap into your flow and take massive action, head over to beyourgps.com forward slash coaching to schedule some time into my calendar. Now